Welcome back to the Stories from Southwest Virginia podcast. I'm your host, Chad Thompson, and today I'm talking with four individuals who have dedicated the past 50 years of their lives, not only for their friendship, but also for the betterment of artists here in Southwest Virginia. This also marks the 50-year anniversary of Holston Mountain Artisans there in Abingdon, Virginia. This was a very delightful episode, and I'm sure you'll love the following stories as much as I did. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Well, thank you all for joining me today. This is the first podcast where I've actually got to speak to uh, more than just one individual, so I'm sure we're going to have a lot of fun today and have a lot of great stories to tell. And I guess for everybody that's at home listening, if you each wouldn't mind just to kind of go around the table and introduce yourselves, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started today. Okay. Um, This is Kathy Shearer. I am on the board of directors at Holston Mountain Artisans, and I'll introduce you to three other people who, uh, along with myself, were here from the earliest days, and two of them, my husband Reese Shearer and Eric Reese, were partners in getting this cooperative going in actually March or February or March of 1971. And with us is Sarah Reese, who is Eric's wife, and she was also right there at the very start, and as a result of her experience with the cooperative, she's become a potter who today has a studio at the Arts Depot, and she'll talk about that a little bit, too. Well, that's excellent. So, uh, I know we're all big fans of stories here on the podcast, and it's great to uh, be able to meet you all over the phone today. Surely we'll get to do that here in person before long. So I guess before we get into the real nitty-gritty, I've heard that there's a, a great story with how around, or the Holston Mountain Artisans actually began. So I guess we'll start with the birth of, of this organization. Well, <clears throat> to, uh, this is Reese Shear. Three of the four people around this table are named Reese. <laughs> and that's kind of a keystone to how all of this got started. Um, the, the one that's speaking, Reese Shearer, was looking in 1971 for a job to do his alternative service to the draft. Uh, I was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War, to war, and I was drafted and I had to do two years of, of alternative service to the community. And um, Kathy and I had driven from Richmond all the way to Big Stone Gap and not really found much of anything. And um, somebody in Abingdon said, well, don't have a job, but I'd like to talk to you. So we arrived at the uh, offices of what was then known as Progressive Community Club of Washington County, PCC and uh, walked up the rickety staircase and into the office and this young mustachioed fellow came up to me and he said hello i'm eric reese and i was stunned that uh, people knew my name already (laughs) and i had just arrived (laughs) only to find out later that uh, we shared the name Reese, his last <laughs> and my first. Wow. Indeed, <laughs> he, he was Eric Reese <laughs> instead. So um, we became fast friends after that, the two couples. And that sort of kind of led to uh, one thing and another. And one of the 
uh, one of those things was the Holster Mountain Arts and Crafts Cooperative. You might want to pick up the thread. I might add, this is Sarah Reese, that that day that um, Eric introduced himself to Reese, uh, he also brought Reese and Kathy home to our house. We lived in the little brick house right behind the cave house. And that was the beginning of our great friendship. He brought them home, and they, I don't know if we fed them supper that night, but they, <laughs> they stayed again and again and again. And, uh, and we've been hanging out together ever since then, the beginning of a wonderful friendship. Yeah, that, that story about having met them uh, has been shared a, a, a number of times with a number of people. Uh, when Reese said that uh, he, he, he had uh, heard from someone at the Progressive Community Club that they didn't have any jobs but that they'd like to talk to him, uh, that was the executive director at the time, and uh, he, he just dumped the whole thing on me <laughs> and said, well, you know, why don't you meet them and, uh, and talk with them? So I did, and uh, uh, the, the the evolution of that of the of the the co-op was still down the road a ways, but what it all boiled down to was I was supposed to be working in something called economic development for the Progressive Community Club, and I wasn't getting a whole lot going on that. Reese and Kathy had been vistas in Georgia and had organized and worked with the craft co up down there. So we sort of uh, just morphed it into uh, uh, an interest at that point around here. And uh, it went from there. Uh, there's, there. There's a world of things that happen, stories to tell, but... Uh, uh, we just we just took what was offered to us at that particular point and decided to try to make something out of it. And what came out of it was a, a, a co-op that continues to exist today, 50 years later. And that was that was the time, Chad, at which Appalachia was just being rediscovered. Um, it was coming out in books and magazines. College courses were evolving. And people were from the outside were coming down to see what it was like. And one of our efforts was to, well, we had several different goals with the co-op, but one was to help people from the outside understand that when you have craftspeople here who are doing traditional crafts, such as quilting and woodworking and basket making and selling these their items for very, very little, maybe just a relatives or a friend at church or whatever, a basket might sell for $15, a quilt might sell for 25 or 35 This is all hand quilted, of course. And we felt people need to know, people, the folks making them needed to have a good market and be appreciated and recognized for their skills. And the people on the outside coming in need to understand that there's a whole lot of work going on there. So our, our goal was really to uh, meet, find these people, first of all, in the hills and the hollers. And it took a lot of driving around. Many of them did not have cars. 
and we, we heard about them. Um, Eric has a story that involves the pool hall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell that if that's a, um, something you want to hear right now. We, we were trying desperately to find people that were craftspeople that, you know, were, were currently making something that we thought might, might actually sell. And um, I used to hang out at the pool hall just a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it was just down the street from the cave house and from where we lived. And uh, so I was down there one evening, and uh, the, the, the father and son owned and ran the place. And they had observed that we had been up uh, working on the cave house, uh, that we had uh, some construction stuff going on up there. So this was after we had actually had the uh, 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 initiation of beginning the, uh, the, the co-op. So they told me about a lady that lived out in the country close to where they were living who made baskets. And, uh, uh, you know, as they said, she just practically gives them away. And uh, so we got her name. And... Uh, got directions on how to get to her house, and uh, three of us went out to see her. And her name, well, we're, we're not mentioning names. Well, we didn't mention her. Her, her name was Mary Helton. Yeah. And uh, she's actually been written up in Foxfire and a few other things uh, now. But learn to make baskets because you made a bad move to Russell County at one point. <laughs> yeah. She, she made... Functional baskets. She made pie baskets, and she made egg baskets. The tree dance. Yeah, and she did it all. She would go out into the woods with an axe and uh, take out a, a pine sapling of, or a larger, drag it home, keep it in the creek uh, so it didn't dry out, and then she would uh, pull it up and split it and continue to split it until she got down to uh, pocket knife size uh, uh, splits and, uh, and and use a pocket knife and get them thin enough that she could weave them into a basket. But the funniest thing about her is that we went out and we had a little bit of money uh, that, again, the Progressive Community Club has gifted to us to actually pay for some of the crafts for people that absolutely could not afford to give them up without getting something for them. And she was one of the people that we thought would benefit from that. And we went to see her. We asked her what she was getting for, like an egg basket. And while I don't recall the exact amount, I know that uh, it was pitiful. And uh, so we doubled her price on the spot. And she, she said, I like y'all, but... Uh, Sure don't know much about business. <laughs> but anyway, it was almost no time at all after we started carrying her uh, baskets in the shop that she was back ordered and uh, stayed that way for the rest of her life. And we have some of hers today in our home, and you probably do too. I do. But she was a very special lady, was indeed. And when her grandson said, well, Granny, I could help you out. I've got a motorcycle. I could 
you cut that tree down and I can pull it to the house for you. She said, oh, no, that's never going to work. And she was truly amazed when it did. <laughs> it saved her some effort. But she was working way up into her 80s, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Just a remarkable woman. Wow. And she, like many of the people we met, we would go to visit her. And she would say, well, y'all come in and sit down at the table and let's have something to eat. No, she just, they were very generous. They were thrilled, even though we were outsiders. They never met us before. We didn't go to their churches, necessarily. So, you know, maybe a little suspicious at first, but gradually when we made it clear that we were there to to show their goods at a shop eventually and, and try to get them a decent price, then they just really bought into it. And um, we developed a nonprofit. But one of the best stories is, how we did get started and how we got to enter the cave house. And Eric and Sarah and Reese, we all worked together on our first adventure in selling, which was at the predecessor to the Virginia Highlands Festival. At that point, the craft market was called the flea market. Hmm. Not a very appealing name, but we set up our tent. And what you want to tell them about the bee house story? Well, first of all, we after we went around hills and hollers and valleys trying to find people, um, we set up meetings in four communities: one in Saville, one in Damascus, one in Bristol, and one in Abingdon. And usually had maybe fifteen to twenty people at at a meeting, um, and. We we begged those people for for their wares, and we didn't have any money to give most of them, so they loaned them to us, and uh, we set up at the Virginia Highlands Festival, which at that time was one week out of the uh, the crafts part of it or the flea market was new. I think it was the first year of the flea market, and it was one week out of the two weeks of the festival. We got a funeral home tent that we borrowed from a funeral home, and uh, we set out their wares, and we slept with them out there because we were afraid we might lose them somehow, even though they had some level of security. Uh, we spent the night with them. We slept out there with them. And uh, after the end of the week, they... Uh, um, we wanted to keep selling, and somebody suggested that we could move to the Sinkin Springs Presbyterian Church parking lot right there on Main Street and, and set up our tent there and continue to sell, which we did. And uh, at that event, we heard, uh, uh, well, Robert Porterfield, who was living then, of course, founder of the Barter Theater, um, noticed us because we were just a block away from the theater. And we were at that point by ourselves, and uh, he was a great promoter of local things. And he uh, had founded not only the Barter, but the Virginia Highlands Festival, and it had a crafts component, and he thought we fit into that. So he said that uh, the governor of Virginia was coming, and he was going to squire him around Abingdon and show him during, off during the festival. This was uh, Governor Holton. 
Uh, first Republican governor since the, maybe the, uh, the, the uh, Reconstruction time. Anyway, uh, he uh, he indeed was good to his word and and told us when the governor was going to be brought by our booth. Well, we had some advance warning, so one of our our uh, craftspeople lived up in Solville, and he, uh, among other things, and he made carvings of, of wooden sandwiches and all kinds of sculpture. One of those was uh, a beautiful walnut apple that had, of course, his signature was the tiny things he added. Uh, it had a yellow jacket that he carved, including the wings. And he had made that, and we had decided that that was the perfect gift to give the governor. Hmm. So I arrived at uh, at his home up in Solville, and we uh, were chagrined when he went up to the to the mantelpiece and found that his boys had been playing with the apple, and that the yellow jacket was broken. So he said he needed to fix it. Well. The time was a wasting and getting away from us, and I said, we have to go. And we got in that car, and I think on back roads maybe made 90 miles an hour, got to the booth just as Mr. Porterfield was squiring the governor right up. And uh, so our, our wood carver had the apple in his hand, and he said, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to come back. <laughs> and we thought, uh-oh, that's not going to happen. But darned if he didn't come back, and 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 the carver had finished completing the, the new yellow jacket, and we were able to make that presentation, and that sort of set us off, because we were something special at that point. We had given something that was going to end up in the governor's mansion. We were special, and because of that interaction with Robert Porterfield, we ended up at the cave house because he, he really liked what we were doing. He said, this is what Abingdon needs. These are real handcrafts. You're helping people. And uh, how about renting my old cave house building? It's empty right now. Hmm. And one of our members who was helping us with the booth, Lee Hobbs, yes. Yeah. And we yeah. said, now, Robert, that place is a mess. Why don't you just let us have it and we'll fix it up. Give it to us rent-free. And he said, uh, oh, uh, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> so, I think he liked our hookspot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so we, we started meeting there and the members came and looked it over and they voted and they decided that, yes, that would be a great thing to do. That'd be a wonderful location there in Abingdon. And everybody tromped on down the steps. And one of our members, Martin Burklow, spoke up and he said, well, I'll replace these steps. These steps really need to be replaced. They're in pretty bad shape. And he provided the lumber and he did the work. He was um, working at the Bristol Post Office then, but he, he did on his days off and in the evenings, and it, as I recall, he and his crew were able to lift those boards right off of the 
stairs without even pulling a nail. They were so far gone. And thank wow. goodness we didn't see anybody going up and down the stairs. After 80-year-olds had walked up and down those steps, you could not see the cave house from Main Street. It was <laughs> so grown up. Wow. Yeah. It was supposed to be haunted. Yeah. And I believe it was. Yeah. It had been built in the 1850s, so it has seen a lot of history. Beautiful, and it's been totally restored today. But the co-op was there for many, many years, and we had festivals on the front yard and in the front yard, and people would come and just have the best time, lots of demonstrations. And, and folks just really loved it. Um, well, one of our one of our charter members lived up on uh, on the hill, Fruit Hill, Fruit Hill, in Abingdon, and uh, he made kind of uh, odds and ends, letter openers and whimmy diddles and this and that. Um, <laughs> he made corn cob pipes, and when we went to Emory and Henry for a sale. Um, he was determined, he worked at Vance Supply, and he was determined, uh, or he had retired from Vance Supply, he was determined for us to fix the roof on that cave house before the, the house fell in, and it's on the verge. And um, we had to do everything we could to keep him off of the roof. He was probably about 78 years old. Um, not too, not too much older than I am today. Um, but uh, his his daughter thanked us for keeping him off the roof. Yes. But we did manage to get a contractor and spent a whole lot of money that we didn't have. Um, but people in corp our PCC Progressive Community Club helped us with, and we got a roof on and saved that building. For many years, and we were there for a lot of years until 2010. Um, so we were there for almost 40 years, and then the house. By that time, the Cape House really had um, suffered a lot. <clears throat> we weren't able to, to spend as much money as was needed to keep it to keep it in good condition. So we moved out and moved down the hill to what was the old jail at one time. So we moved from the old cave house to the jail house. <laughs> and that's where the cooperative is still functioning today and has been renamed Holston Mountain Artisans. Um, and uh, we have done a whole lot of work to just make it a pleasanter place than it used to be. But we have very fond memories of, of the cave house days, and it's it's been a... It has been a bit of a struggle, even though we're just really two blocks away from the original location. We're down off the hill now, and so it's like we just disappeared, Chad. It's kind of like, what? Where did they go? <laughs> and there's still people who clock in the shop today who say, oh, I didn't know you were here, and I've lived in Abingdon the whole time. So, you know, it's kind of, it's sort of interesting. But we're making a big effort. We still have about 100 members in our cooperative. And uh, they pretty much all of them drive now. Um, don't have to go and pick them up. But now we did have one member back in the uh, in the cave house days, Agnes Jones, who never drove a car 
Her husband drove her everywhere, and then she got state so patrol officer. State patrol officer, and she got so involved with the cooperative that she told her husband Harry she was going to have to learn how to drive so she could come to all our meetings. <laughs> and she got a license, and she got a car, and she started coming. And she became president of our cooperative. We so went we to fairs, and she went to the first one, her first fair, and she noted down. Every town we went through, <laughs> from the signs, the green signs along the interstate. That's right. Yeah, we had a lot of, lot of What did she do when you got to the motel, Kathy? We got to the motel, and that was real scary for her, but her husband had told her, you set a chair up under the doorknob. <laughs> <laughs> this is Sarah. I had the honor of um, helping, uh, teaching Agnes how to work the, the Coke machine down half a block away from the cave house. We were both on the standards committee. I'm still on the standards committee. <laughs> but after our meeting, we would uh, often have lunch or at least something to eat or drink. And there, down at the car wash, a half a block away, a, a group of us and Agnes walked down after a meeting. And she wanted a Coke, but she said, you girls are just going to have to teach me how to use this. I've never done this before. And this would have been in the 80s, I think, um, early 80s probably, and we taught her to use it. We had one at a time. <laughs> well, along that line, there was a quilter we took with us to uh, uh, show up in Cincinnati, and we had a wholesale that I needed to drop off on the way at the Rupp Arena in Lexington, Kentucky. And so I had one of my quilters who was going to demonstrate at the fair uh, to carry one of the boxes, and I had a box and somebody else had a box. And we went into the arena, and this is a really country lady because when we got to the escalator, I went right down the escalator, and I turned around, and the box that the quilter was holding was being carried by a total stranger. I know where it came from, you said, uh, is this yours? And I said, I guess it is. Yeah, I think so. But where's the lady that was carrying it? He said, well, she was up at the top of the escalator, and she put one foot on, and she wanted to keep her other foot on terra firma, and she did the splits. And the box uh, went flying, and I picked it up. So uh, she had never seen an escalator before. We kind of introduced people to the 20th century before it completely was gone. Well, it was, a, I think, a very unsettling experience in a lot of ways for people. But they, uh, they Mary Helton said she comes to town. She wasn't going to have one go to one of our dinner meetings in the church because she was so old she was close to going to heaven <laughs> and she wasn't going to make any mistake eating in the churches now <laughs> but when we would drive into town at night she said all oh, those lights lights of Abingdon they just look like heaven so it was a it was a um an eye-opening experience for a lot of our in many ways but we had a good time um taking them on these trips, and also this was an opportunity for them to show these folks, these city folks, what people could do with their hands. 
know, it was just amazing for them to see quilting being done or woodwork or whatever. And we've continued to do that at, at festivals. And, and it's, it's always nice for people visiting who don't know about our area and don't understand maybe and can see it really being done right there. Um, that's always been one of our missions. Kathy worked to get us our, our nonprofit status, our 501c3. And a major part of that was our service to low-income craftspeople, mm -hmm. <clears throat> training and design and in marketing and so forth. And it's hard to hard to realize now, but there were people who were extremely poor living around, and there's still plenty of poor people living in Washington County and the other counties around. Uh, <clears throat> But Eric visited one of them, and what were they burning in the fireplace? <laughs> yeah, they were burning a, a, a telephone pole that they had <laughs> dragged in off the off the street and uh, hacked it up with a hatchet and put it in the fireplace. And the creosote was coming out of it and burning, but that's what they had for heat. Wow. Um, you know, that, that was one thing. You know, in, in the same light, though, one of one of the great things about the co-op was that it crossed so many cultural barriers. I think it, uh, you know, we certainly had and and focused on uh, low-income folks, but there were there were others that uh, uh, were middle-income and probably a few that were even upper-income that saw what was happening, what was going on, and had skills themselves and wanted to be a part of it and, and became part of it. Um, it, was, it was just absolutely wonderful. And, and the, one of the people that, that I met, um, and this was in the Bristol meeting, uh, was a pretty good-sized group down there. And we had gotten a list of names from a uh, uh, a craft program that was in the YWCA or the YMCA that uh, had had a had a mailing list that they used. And I took the mailing list and, and uh, uh, went door to door, knocking on doors. And one of the people, some people were very reluctant to to open their door for for us. We we were a little bit hippie-looking, I guess, in the day, and a uh, uh, little bit scary for, for, for some folks. But there was this one lady who, when I knocked on her door, she opened the door and said, come right in. And uh, her name was Jenny Minnery. And uh, Jenny became later the, one of the presidents of, of, of the co-op, and she was one of the most multi-talented people that... I ever met in my life. She could do, uh, she was a weaver. She could do tin work. She did woodworking. Uh, she did pottery and corn shuck work. Yeah, glass work. She could do it all. And uh, she brought an awful lot of that with her to, to the co-op. And it was just uh, a really rewarding experience to get to know somebody like that. Uh, the other memorable person from the Bristol thing, and then she's already been mentioned. It was Agnes Jones, who uh, uh, Sarah taught how to use the Coke machine. <laughs> she, uh, her daughter let me in 
uh, and uh, her, her mother, Agnes, was just absolutely scared to death of me. And she kept a, a, a table between the two of us. And if I went one way, she went the other. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, that that was interesting because as we all grew one way or another, <laughs> she, uh, you know, came, came to, uh, uh, I think, really like me. <laughs> she did. She loved you. Yeah, she was, she was a real special lady. You know, unfortunately, almost all of the people that were original members of the co-op are are gone. Um, there, there are very few left, but there are a few. And uh, um, the the uh, um, vast majority of them that have have passed away certainly left. Uh, uh, a heritage that uh, has been followed in some cases by their family members and uh, in some cases just by other people. Uh, but but Sarah is an example of that. Well, yes, she is. Uh, yeah. yeah. And we did have people from all kinds of backgrounds. Uh, one gentleman in Damascus was, uh, he, he'd gone to Berea and he learned to turn wood there and he made the most beautiful candlesticks. And um, I went to see him, and as I said, I was a conscientious objector. Well, he had—he was retired Air Force, and he had the gruffest voice you ever heard. And I—I I felt like I was uh, completely out of place as a conscientious objector talking to this Air Force retiree. Like uh, one of my eyes was like a C, and the other an O, glowing red in the right in his face, and he he had a different way of, of going about things, and he was sure that our business plan was going to fail, and and and, and in many respects, he was right. Um, we failed and failed, and but managed to muddle through each time, because our members, because it was a member-owned cooperative, they were willing to come in and put in the work and the volunteer time to make... Uh, ownership of this business continue uh, and continue through the years. Uh, there have been many emergencies that have occurred where where time was just uh, running out, it seemed, and staff members and managers would give of their time and people would give their crafts um, or even yard sale items uh, to keep the co-op going. So it's been a community effort, and it's led really to, uh, we were talking about this before you called us, Chad, um, to the arts development in Abingdon. People who were members of the co-op went off to William King uh, when the Artists Association there started, and then that uh, led to the Arts Depot. So... Um, we really feel like the co-op had an uh, outsized influence on the development of arts in Washington County and the town of Abingdon. Well, why don't we let Sarah talk about her experience along those lines. Hmm. Well, when Reese and Kathy came to town to talk about creating a, a craft co-op, 
I just thought it was the most wonderful idea. Um, I grew up down in Bristol, Tennessee, and I've been aware all my life that people make things. In fact, I really I didn't know that people that there were any people who didn't make things. <laughs> my my both of my parents were just so creative, um, but I just thought to have a craft organization would be wonderful, and I wanted to be a part of it. I had recently learned how to crochet. It was I just it was so exciting to be able to make things out of yarn. But then, because of the cave because of the cave house, I met a potter who was teaching a pottery class down in Bristol at the what was the Baton School of Crafts. And um, so Eric and I both signed up for a pottery class. And I, the night I touched that clay for the first time, I just thought it was wonderful. <laughs> and uh, I've been touching clay ever since. I had meant to have a more normal life. But then along came Reese and Kathy. And, um, and gee, it's been just a wonderful journey. Um, I think we're very lucky to, to get to be around creative people. And Sarah has a studio at the Arts Depot. She was one of the founding members there, and she's still there. And it is in its, we are in our 31st year, 30 30 year. Arts Depot. Yeah. Right. That's excellent. <laughs> does indeed. I, I got to tell you another story about a member. We we had uh, a woman who made lovely quilts, and they were really unique. It was a design called Cathedral Window Quilts, and she was out of Damascus, and um, she had what was at that first sale uh, right there on the streets of Abingdon during the Highlands Festival when we borrowed people's work. She she lent us the most expensive thing. It was a $99 cathedral window quilt, easily worth $1,000, but that was what what we could put on it in those days. We thought that was a really high price. Yeah, it was. And um, we were selling pretty good. We sold, you know, $5 and $10.80 stuff. And this woman came, and she looked at that quilt, and she said she had to go off and have a cup of coffee and think about it. And we would just bid our, our fingers down to the nubs, waiting for her to come back. And she did come back, and she bought that quilt for $99 in tax. <laughs> and we told our, our quilter, Thelma Van Huss, that her quilt had sold. And she got so excited that she went into the uh, the chest where she had at least a dozen of these quilts that she had put away and put the names of her granddaughters on on the name on the quilt in pen. And she said, "Well, they don't pay any attention to me anyway, and they don't, they don't care about what I do." So she said, "I'm gonna put them up for sale," and she and she did. And her husband, who had poo-pooed the whole thing, uh, he got so excited that he went out to his shop and he took the cloth uh, and 
folded it up, stacked it up, and ran it through the bandsaw to try to speed up the pieces. Well, you can imagine what happened. It just came completely unraveled. The fabric just was wasted. And it did the job on the saw. <laughs> but uh, Kermit was trying to innovate. New technology. Right. <laughs> Chad, one of the things I think that's uh, somewhat unique about the, the, the co-op, that at that time, there were other craft groups that were springing up around Southwest Virginia and uh, Upper East Tennessee, North Carolina, that sort of thing. But almost all of them had some sort of sponsorship with some uh, controlling agency, uh, whether it was like the agency that I worked for, which was, you know, out of the old, old uh, OEO program. Uh, or Office of Economic Opportunity. Yeah, or, or whatever, maybe a church group or somebody. But anyway, they, they controlled what was going on within their groups. And they controlled them in a lot of different ways. Uh, uh, they administered the uh, um, details of what they could do and what they couldn't do. And, uh, and, and they controlled the funding. Uh, in most instances as well. And when when they needed or wanted to, as a controlling agency, make a move on something, then that group might just get lost in the, in the shuffle or forgotten about. But at Holston Mountain, from the very beginning, we made it into a membership organization that would make its own rules, have its own bylaws, have its own standards committee uh, and and run itself, and you know it it worked, and because it worked, uh, it's still there while most all of those others are long gone. Hmm. So um, I, I think the whole self determination aspect of the, uh, the the organization and the process is is one of the things that kept it um, uh, vital and, and happening. Uh, in spite of the fact that uh, every member that was elected to leadership in the first few years would say, I don't want this job. We elected Jenny Minnerick when she was absent. And Ronald Holmes uh, was elected, and he said he didn't want any office jobs. So uh, just, you know, nobody really wanted to lead. They didn't think of themselves as business people and had those skills, but they learned them on the spot. They did. And, and as we said, we had lots of trials and tribulations along the way, mostly uh, financial, because we didn't have a great big source backing us up. We didn't have government money. But um, through the years, members have come forward, and some businesses in the community have supported us, have been very generous, and we've survived the ups and downs of the economy. And so we're just real proud to make it to 50. Um, now, we've gone on for, oh, 45 minutes. I'm sure you've got a lot of editing to do. But I'm, I'm going to ask if you have particular questions at this point where you want to lead us. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've just been excited to sit here and listen to all those wonderful stories. It's it's always great to hear about the the history of how how these things come to be. And 
you know, I, I think we not only heard today the, the story of the past 50 years of Holston Mountain Artisans, but of also friendships and, and acquaintances and just wonderful things that's happened along the way. And I guess what we could segue into now is, is how are we carrying on that today? Or do we have any events planned in correlation to the 50 years? I know with uh, the things that's been going on in the world over the past year, it's made a lot of things difficult. But what are some ways that people listening can get involved with Holston Mountain, either in person or online? Okay. Well, thank you for asking that. We have a jury standards committee holds a jury um, about three times a year. We have the next one coming up in April. And for anyone out there who's listening who um, is interested in perhaps becoming a member so that you sell their items in the shop, they do have to go through the jury. Um, Sarah happens to be on it right now, and she's been multiple times on the standards committee. And what they need to do is call the shop and ask for the information. And they can give them the date um, by which they would need to submit, I think it's three items for review. Oh, five items to review, sorry. And they can learn, you know, about membership and how much, what, what that involves. And the number is 628-7721. That's, a, that's an old-fashioned house phone. <laughs> so it's area code 276-628-7721. And they are open right now on the weekends, like Friday, Saturday, never open on Sunday. But uh, come April, we will be opening full-time. So, but the thing to do is to go ahead and call the shop and either speak to the shopkeeper or the director, Andrea Roden, or leave a message, and you will get a reply. And is there a residency requirement? There, there is a geographical area, and they've expanded that, I think, to a 75 to 100 miles from Abingdon. It used to be first to start off 25 miles from Abingdon. I think that's because we didn't want to drive so far to pick people up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then it grew to 50 miles and now finally to 75 um, or to 100. And But we still keep it very, very local. And we certainly encourage people in all different kinds of medium. And there's, there's different requirements for the various categories. We do try to keep it to um, not using a lot of pre-made items, um, commercially made items that you're just stringing together. That's important. We want to see the handwork that's involved, the effort that goes into each piece, and they have to be really well made. But they, anyone who's interested can get more information. We've been at our current location, like I said, since 2010, so um, coming up on 11 years. And um, at Park on Park Street in the old jail, and it is um, just right one block down from the courthouse. So if you're standing on the corner of Court and Main, you look down the hill, um, and you see this great big tall three-story brick building with a banner on the top wall there, Holston Mountain Artisans. The name changed from Holston Mountain Arts and Crafts to Holston Mountain Artisans um, back about the time we moved. And it has, we have an annex there, a separate building where classes are taught and people can gather. We've had a quilt group that meets there twice a week. A lot of this stopped during COVID. So the classes have, have not started up again. I don't believe the, the women in the quilt group are meeting now. 
um, we, we just had to kind of reset everything. But one thing they did during the closure this year was really renovate the interior of the shop so it looks quite different. They've moved the displays all around. That's Andrea, our director, and the shopkeepers helping her and some volunteers as well. And um, it really looks lovely. I haven't been in it myself, but I've seen the pictures. But uh, we don't really, can't really say right now what our anniversary celebration is going to look like because we need to wait and see if the pandemic really is totally under control before we can plan an event. But it will be, if we can have it, it will be outdoors in our, our back lot, which is quite spacious. We've had several festivals there. Usually we have three festivals a year. Um, and we hope to start having these again. And that will be, there will be newspaper articles and, and um, posters posted up around the place. And we have a Facebook site, which is very active. That's where you get the most recent news. We have had approximately 100 members um, still in, in various media, and we're just real proud that, you know, after all these years, we're still going. That's excellent. Yeah, you guys have, have done a phenomenal job. I, I know I've heard about you for, for many years. I've lived in this area my, my entire life as well, and uh, so it's it's great to be able to see things like this happen, you know, in, in our local area and so many wonderful and talented people can, can come together and do these things. So I appreciate everything that y'all do. And for everybody listening, definitely be sure to go give them some support. And if you're listening, whatever platform you're on, there will be links in the description where you can find out more information about this uh, this group and, and be able to show them your support any way you can. And if you're in Abingdon when, during their open hours, be sure to go by and pay a visit and see some of this wonderful art for yourself. Yes, 